the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, or welcome back. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. Thank you for holding. Let's see who's up. Lee, welcome to the program. How are you, Gino? Doing good. I wanted to kind of... Not chime in, but ask your opinion about. Yeah, I, I agree that um, scripture tells them not to hate anybody. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with that. What about like hating? Well, David says he hates those. Now, this is paraphrased according to Lee. God hates those who hate him with, with a perfect hatred, something like that. But, and again, that's that's a real loose paraphrase. Um, right. But right. what about hating organizations like, for example, Hamas? Hamas well, has it, in their Psalm 9, charter. Psalm 90, yeah, Psalm ninety-seven ten says, "Let those who love the Lord hate evil." So we have to ask ourselves: Does God hate what's evil? And I think that the answer is yes. Yeah. And then, and then we 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 take it to the next step. I think of a quote by <laughs> Golda Meir. You know, this is. Can you believe this is now half a century ago? She said. Right. She said, "We want to live. Our neighbors want us dead. It doesn't leave much room for compromise." No, it doesn't. And so, then you've so, got... so what do you what do you do? And and so, if I were to give an example and 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 say, okay, what does God hate? And the Bible obviously lists seven things that God hates, but that doesn't mean that's the only thing that God hates. Right. Um. You know the Bible I mean, talks all about down to sin is what he hates. Right, right. So, so I guess if I were to 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 do a thought experiment, the thought experiment would would go something like this: How can I learn to hate my own sin? So imagine By... it's. E- it, yeah, imagine it's easy to hate Hamas, which I do, by the way. Um, and But I also hate, yeah, I hate, if I'm honest with myself, I hate the, it, it, there's different news outlets that are telling us it was 1,000, 2,000, possibly 3,000 terrorists who, who left Gaza, went into the Israeli territory, murdered, mutilated, raped, and then kidnapped human beings. This is pretty bad stuff. This is this is pretty bad stuff. 
hating other people is real easy for me, okay? Hating my own sin seems to be a really difficult task for me. So uh, that's the thought experiment. Well, my understanding that I... is that the if you want to learn to hate your own sin, the only way that you're really going to be uh, able to do that is the closer you get to God, the more you fall in love with God, that's going to be the only way that you are able to hate your own sin. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I think you're exactly right. I would put it a little bit differently. The first step in hating your sin is to acknowledge that you have sin. The Bible says if you claim right. that you don't have sin, you're deceiving yourself and the truth isn't in you. But to your point, right. to your point, the, to your point, you're, you're hoping that the more you come into the presence of holiness and purity and goodness and and all of the things that make God God, he is love, he is pure, he is holy, you, you begin to see, wait a minute, I'm not those things. <laughs> I am not those things. In right. other words, it, it, as we approach, actually, you know, Jesus, as, as we walk with Jesus and, and talk with Jesus, and then we, we wind up like David we pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's anything offensive in me or see if there's anything wicked in me. And so you're, you're, I think you're exactly right that, that that's, that's the truth, that the, that the better we know God, the, the more we're going to hate our sin. And, and then I think there's another thing. The better we understand the consequences of our sin, the more we're we're going to hate sin in our lives. So, yeah, so um, um, imagine, imagine, imagine a group, an individual, and then a group, and then a nation. A nation comes to, to grips, and it says, hey, this is where unrestricted sin has taken us with abortion on demand with same-sex marriage. This is where the sexualization of our children has taken us. This is where an abandonment of absolutes has taken us. This is where rejection of the Bible and all that the Bible has says, this is where it's taken us. And we start to hopefully have a little bit of a personal corporate wake-up call. Your mouth of God's ears. I mean, I, as fed up with, and, and this is off point, but looking at the world around us and looking what's happening to our country, what's especially going on in Colorado and just the insanity and uh, <laughs> I, I, as, as bad as that is, there's lots of people out there that are fine with it that they think oh this is just fine and see that that's what's so amazing so, to me that's what's so amazing to me you know where where i i see a hundred thousand people in london or i see people in new york or los angeles and and i i i i i, I see them say end israeli occupation and you go and what's your strategy for that What's your strategy for that? How would you like well, to see that happen? 
What, well, what, the funny thing is, is that there was no occupation. Israel wasn't in Gaza. They well, they see, left exactly. and let Gaza rule themselves. Exactly. And exactly. They're surrounded by people that want to kill them. And so exactly. now they're done with it. it and it, the world's exactly. crying out for all the poor Palestinians. But you know what? The Israelis aren't setting up command posts and and weapons caches and launching rockets from parking lots of hospitals and the basements of hospitals and schools. And they, they, no nation has done as much, including the United States, to uh, limit civilian casualties. I mean, they're doing everything they can to tell people, you need to get out because we are coming in and you're going to be at great risk if you stay there. And the people are staying there anyway. What more should yeah. Israel do? They, they have to defend themselves. Well, or they don't. And l l so let's go there for just a moment. They don't defend okay. themselves. They don't defend themselves, and they just go, "Feel free to murder us. Feel free to mutilate That's us. Exactly Feel what free to, to rape rape our children and, and or rape our, our our daughters and kill our children." Feel free to do that. Feel free to load us up into cattle cars and ship us off to gas chambers. And see, for, for the Israeli, they're going, I'm, that's not an option for me. That's not a, an option I can live with. Yeah, well, I mean, I, there's... I hear the music. I, I, yeah, thank I you do for, too. The, for the conversation. Thank you. <laughs> I... I gotta go. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. I know that there are people who have differences of opinion about the Hamas, um, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. It is deep. It is complicated. It has historical and political and geographical, cultural, theological implications. There's all kinds of different ways that we can talk about this. And, of course, it's illustrative of the issue of hate. You know, in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, hate what is evil. And then it says, cling to what is good. That, that seems to be two sides of the same coin. They're mutually dependent. In order to hold on to what is good, by very definition, you have to be willing to let go of what's evil. So our grip on what is good is sometimes tenuous. And we seem to have a good grip on evil. Which do you think is harder? To let go of evil or to hold on to what is good? So we're back to the text, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And I think it's fairly easy to hate 
sin in other people. So imagine, imagine when is sin the least attractive when we see it in others? When is it most attractive when we see it in our, when we fail to see it in ourselves? It seems to me that we're very, very good at finding the speck in our neighbor's eye while the plank is embedded in our own. In Luke chapter 6, verse 42, it says, How can you say to your brother, Hey, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself don't see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think most of us have a pet sin or two that we have a high tolerance for and that we're ready to excuse. The poet George Herbert called those the one cunning bosom sin. (laughs) So hating our own hearts sin is easier said than done because our our flesh is sin's ally in galatians chapter 5 verse 17 it says for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want So if our flesh is sin's ally, who is the flesh's ally? (laughs) The world and Satan, the devil. 303-873-1935. So I'm back to what the earlier caller talked about. Um, And the thought experiment, the thought experiment of how can I learn to hate my own sin. And, of course, the first step in hating our own sin is to acknowledge that we have it. And the next step might be to get to know the Lord better. And the better we know the Lord, the better we begin to understand just how glaringly deficient our sin is. And then we begin to understand the bitter consequences of sin And the better we understand the source of sin, the more we'll begin to despise it, hate it in ourselves. According to the Bible, Satan is the originator of sin. It says in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. So that passage in Ezekiel 28, 15, does it precede the fall of man in the garden of Eden? Does it precede Genesis chapter 3? I think that it does. Before salvation, we were, according to Jesus, Children of the devil. 
Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. And so there seems to be this problem that when we advocate for what the devil advocates for, hatred in the heart, which is akin to murder, and lies, as believers, we face Satan's temptations and struggles with the old self. So again, there's lines of opposition from the world. Don't love the world and the things that are in the world from our own flesh and from Satan. But thank God we have three champions. The Bible says the Father has overcome the world. The Bible says that Jesus was manifest in order to expose and then overturn the works of the devil. And, of course, we've been given the Holy Spirit in order to deal with the challenges of our flesh. Three enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil. Three champions, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Sin is what has brought sickness and sorrow and shame and death into the world. Sin's the root cause of all war, including the Ukrainian and Russian war, including the Armenian uh, being forced out of their their homes. When we talk about the conflict zones all around the world, it sounds almost cliche, but sin really is the cause of war and fighting and pain and injustice. So imagine you're living in a world where a political solution or a cultural solution or a civilizational solution or a medical solution is looked for in war, in fighting, in pain, in justice. Sin is why hell exists. So when we consider the horrible effects of sin in the world at large, we're grieved to discover there are elements of the same sin lurking in our own heart. And then there's the stabbing realization. We hate that we contribute to the pain in the world. So again, the better we understand the source of sin, hopefully, the more we'll hate it in ourselves. 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. 
The number is 303-873-1935. You know, when the war broke out in the Middle East um, with between Israel and Hamas, many of you know that I was part of a team um, that went to Jordan, and we spent about 11 days there. Um, and so you can imagine we had a great deal of time to reflect and consider and think about what was going on. And you may or may not be aware of the role that Iran is playing in this conflict. And Hezbollah is a group of terrorists to the north and, and Hamas is a group of terrorists to the south and that Israel sees this as an existential threat. In other words, they know that they will have no problems defeating Hamas and they will have no problems defeating Hezbollah, but they will have problems with Iran and with Syria and with a united Muslim um, assault that wants to see Israel destroyed. And so it begs a question that I often get asked, and that is about the role that Israel will play in the future. And I've talked a little bit about... um, about that subject. And again, there, there's several different nuances of, of that question. And one of the questions, of course, is found in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, where Paul is arguing, thinking, reflecting on the future of Israel. And Romans chapter 11, verse 26, plainly says, all Israel will be saved. And of course, the big question is, what did Paul mean? What What is meant by Israel? Is he talking about future Israel? Is it a literal uh, ethnic group of people? Is it figurative? Does it, does it, refer to a political group of people who have who have uh, who find themselves in 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 what we've called the holy land so is it ethnic jews some people have even suggested that it might be a reference to the church now of course i'm not one of those people who embrace or support or advocate for replacement theology. That is the idea that the church has replaced the covenants of God between Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David. So those who take a literal approach to the promises of the Old Testament believe that the physical descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will be restored to a right relationship with God and receive the fulfillment of the covenants. Those who embrace or advocate replacement theology basically affirm 
that the church has completely replaced Israel, will inherit God's promises to Israel, the covenants. What, one of the interesting things that I've had some of my friends say, for those individuals who believe that the church has replaced Israel concerning the promises, I wonder if they believe that the church has replaced Israel concerning the curses concerning the curses that come with rebellion and disobedience. So there are those who are approaching this issue literally, physically, politically. There are those who are approaching the issue spiritually. In what sense? In other words, replacement theology teaches that Israel will not inherit the actual physical land of the Levant of Israel, and that the church is the new Israel, and ethnic Israel is forever excluded from the promises, and that Jews need not inherit the promised land as Jews per se. I think one of the problems with this view, in part, I think that there's lots of theological reasons and biblical reasons to reject that view, but I want to focus on something else, and that is that that if you embrace the view that God has given up on the Jew or has no plan for the Jew, there seems to me a subtle possibility that you might be willing to give up on the Jew yourself. I do not take the replacement theology approach, and I don't embrace that view. My view is what's what theologians call futurist. It's even literalist. The passages that speak of future Israel are difficult to view as figurative for the church. The classic text is in Romans chapter 11, verses 16 through 24, which depicts Israel as distinct from the the church. Paul argues the natural branches are the Jews, and the wild branches are the believing Gentiles, and they're the ones who are grafted in. So in the illustration in Romans chapter 11, as Paul is dealing in context with God's dealings with the Jew and the future of the Jew, the olive tree seems to represent collectively the people of God. The natural branches, the Jews, are cut off the tree for unbelief, and the wild branches, believing Gentiles, are grafted in. So this has the effect of making the Jews jealous and then drawing them to faith in Christ so that they might be grafted in again and receive the promises of their inheritance. So the natural branches are distinct from the wild branches so that God's covenant with his people is literally fulfilled in Romans chapter 11, verses 26 through 29, where it says, 
and in this day, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them. When I take away their sins, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of the forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And so in Romans eleven twenty six through 29, Paul is citing the passages in Isaiah chapter 59 in verses 20 and 21. And again, in Isaiah uh, chapter 27, verse 9. So in, in 27, um, 9, it says, Therefore, by this the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for, and this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin when he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces. No asherim or incense altars will remain standing. These are the idols that were erected in the land. And Jeremiah chapter 31, 33 says, And so all Israel will be saved. 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the program. 303-873-1935, I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. 303-873-1935, I'm talking about um, what does the Bible Will Israel be saved in the end times? What does the Bible say about their end time circumstance? And so I I was quoting Romans chapter 11, verse 26, which cites Isaiah 59, which alludes to Jeremiah 31, 33, which says, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So here Paul emphasizes the irrevocable nature of Israel's calling as a nation. And Isaiah predicted a remnant of Israel would one day be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. 303-873-1935. Let's take a quick call. Patty, welcome to the program. Hi, Patty. Hi. So first of all, I want to say thank you for praying with me. I had you pray with me for uh, uh, reconciliation of my family, my kids and my grandkids. And um, I have since, it's been about five years, got my life together, got a place, got a car, have a relationship with all my kids and my grandkids. And yeah, so I just wanted to say thank you for praying with me. You're welcome. And I'm just so blessed. So anyway, my question 
there's a show, it's called Truth or Fiction, and they have different stories. They have like four different stories. And then some of them are made up and some of them are true. And you, at the end of the show, they tell you which ones are real. But so many of them are like amazing, uh, just totally amazing stories of, you know, love, past loved ones that have passed on, uh, coming back to save somebody's life or um, coming back to uh, tell them about an insurance policy they didn't know about or just just all kinds of different stories, but they're just amazing. And I'm wondering um, if we don't, if we're not able to communicate with um, our loved ones and those aren't really our loved ones, if those are demons or whatever, why would Satan do anything good? Like these stories are just so amazing and so, you know, awesomely good. And all, well, you know what it, I mean? Yeah, it, it could be to put forward the lie. And, and the big lie is that you can get information from a supernatural source that isn't the Bible that's reliable. And so that's the whole point of trying to get information from a supernatural source. You want good things. So in Deuteronomy, so in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 11, it forbids uh, praying to the dead, speaking to the dead, seeking to contact the dead. And and then the story of Saul, remember, it's in the context where Saul, in rebellion and disobedience, um, because he was unfaithful to the Lord, he did not keep the word of the Lord, and he consults the medium for guidance. In other words, he's about to have a big battle, and people are going to die in this battle, and there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. And so he he thinks he needs to know, you know, what's going to be the outcome of this great big battle, and he calls uh, he he seeks out a person to give him the information. Now, uh, in, right, in, yeah. in 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 First Chronicles, basically what happens it, it would appear that the, that the prophet Samuel shows up and he goes, you know what, what you're doing is wrong. And you're going to be judged. As a matter of fact, your son, Jonathan's going to die, and so are you. You're going to die. Now, no, um, that's pretty extreme. <laughs> that, that's, that's, yeah. that's fairly extreme. So, so there's another side of the story. It's, it's where the, the, the people who contact the dead. So um, imagine using even your own illustration. There, there's some pretty exciting, even remarkable things that the dead relatives seem to impart. But you notice how they leave out all of the dark stories, the wicked stories, the terrifying yeah. stories of, of, of things that aren't going to go exactly right. Yeah, nobody wants to hear all that. <laughs> nobody wants to hear all of that. It's, uh, it's almost like, you know, I was thinking about um, a, a medical doctor who did research on people who had a heart attack and they reported lights and love and dead relatives and smiling faces. He said, but guess what was underreported? Darkness and demons and fire and terror. Everybody wanted to hear stories about heaven and no one wanted to hear the stories about hell. Yeah. So, so the way that I would think about it is... According to the Bible, the dead can't hear our prayers. 
they can't respond to our prayers. They have no ability to answer it. So to your point, it's, well, why are these demons pretending to be our loved ones? And I think it's, again, in the hopes of trying to deceive, delude, and then redirect you away from someone other than the God of the Bible and Jesus the Lord. Yeah, okay. I got that part, yeah. <clears throat> um, I was telling your um, your producer or whoever that is that you talked to first. It's um, Jim. My Jim. Uh, someone that I know, girlfriend passed away, and then she... He said he came, she came to him like, he said he was wide awake, but he saw her and she was wearing all white and she was smiling and happy and, and gave him this peace of knowing that she's okay and everything. Um, What do you think that is all about? Well, again, it is comforting to think that our loved one is okay. Yeah. But in Hebrews 9.27, it says something different. It says... And just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So what if, and and again, I have no idea what the spiritual condition of your friend is. I have zero idea of whether they have. Well, he's talked to sense, but. (laughs) Yeah, I have zero idea. But but I do know this, that if a person dies in Christ, they are okay. They're in heaven and they're present with the Lord. And if a person dies in their sin, they're not okay. There's something right. that's gone horribly and terribly wrong. Yes. And so I mm-hmm. think that there's, there is this, this desire on the part of people to believe that their loved one is okay, even if they don't believe in Jesus, even if they don't have a right relationship yeah. with God, even yeah. and they think even, that if, if their sin has yeah, never been exactly. resolved, the sin that, issue's yeah. never been resolved. That everybody's going to be all right, you know, kind of yeah. thing. And right. that's called universalism. Yeah. And and so there there is this sense in which people, I, I think in all honesty, I've never met a single person who said, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And and right. and and they would say, but I don't want Jesus to be involved. I don't want to repent of my sin. I don't want to trust Him as my Savior. What do you want to do? I just want to continue to live a life of rebellion and disobedience to God. Well, yeah. that's a dangerous. That's a dangerous place to be in. Mm-hmm. For hey, sure. Th- thank okay, you thank for you. the call. Yeah, thank you. Bye, Gino. Bye. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow for Tough Question Tuesday. Welcome back, Jim. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.